Psalm 115. This is what the word of God has to say. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not uh, feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless us, the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made the heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Psalm 115, particularly this first verse, has been a significant verse of declaring who is worthy of all glory and honor throughout, throughout history. Um, if you're familiar with Shakespeare, you may be familiar with this, but, but if you're also just a, a fan of, of English history, you may also remember this. King Henry V of England, um, of course, in those days, the, the, great, the great enemy of England was France, and King Henry had a great victory over France in, in 1415. And, uh, and part of the reason why he had a, such a great victory over France is because the, that there had been rains earlier in the, in, the, in the month and early in the day. And so when France sent in their, their cavalry, their, their horses were getting stuck. When they, when they turned their cavalry around, then they pressed up against their own army. And, and England was able to have a tremendous, overwhelming victory over France. In fact, the casualty numbers are overwhelmingly lopsided. It is said that after that great victory that the king had his men kneel in the mud on the battlefield and they began to sing a psalm. Now to us, O Lord, not, uh, now to, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory and give glory alone. That's a good word. In fact, um, we could probably spend almost all of our time today just there. Some have said that this psalm is a psalm of pleading for God's help, particularly because of verse 2. But, but my sense of it is it's a psalm of victory. 
declaring that God is greater than the idols that beg for our worship this side of heaven. I think it's a psalm of victory, declaring that our God is greater than all the things of this world and, 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 and like so many of the psalms of praise, calling us to behold the glory of God and respond to that with worship. One of the commentators I like to read often summarized the psalm with this word. He said, God has helped us in the past. He will help us in the future. Therefore, trust him and tell others how great he is. It's a good word. The psalmist is calling us to behold the glory of God and understand that all things in heaven and on earth are for God's glory. And from this reckoning, from this beholding the glory of God flows that, 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 that encouragement and response to trust the Lord. So that the idea is we look and behold the glory of God. And then as you behold the glory of God, that then the response to that is put your trust in the God who can versus the worthless idols that can't. So as we consider this psalm, I want to break it in these three ways. Number one, behold the, the God of heaven and earth. That's just stand and behold the glory of God. I don't know what your story is or what's gone on in your life this week, but I suspect that whether you're a longtime church member or this is the first time you've ever darkened the door of a church, that if we were to stand up and give just an account of this past week, there are a lot of things this side of heaven, just the things of life that have caused our hearts to be burdened, that have, um, that have caused us worry and concern. And it is a right and good thing, dear friends, for us often to take a moment to lift our heads and behold the glory of God. When you get a glimpse of the glory of God, it changes your perspective about everything this side of heaven. So behold the God of heaven and earth. That leads us to the, the command, the call to put your trust in God and the God of our salvation. And then lastly, from the end of the psalm, a call to give praise to the one, to the only one who is worthy. Let's begin with beholding the God of heaven and earth. I, I really see this in the first eight verses. We'll, we'll really split the, the psalm into three sections. And so the first eight verses are this call to behold the God of heaven and, and of earth. The reality is, friends, that all of creation is for the glory of God. All of creation is for the glory of God. So from the smallest thing here on earth to the grandest, farthest thing in the galaxy or the universe, all things that have been created that are, are for the glory of God. We could spend all of our time today just on verse 1 as it declares the foundational truth of the whole psalm. So, so when verse 1 begins, it says, listen, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. In other words, the, the, the purpose of our praise, the purpose of all things is not that I would receive glory or that you would receive glory, but that God would receive glory. And listen, friends, that's true for all of creation. It's also true for every one of you. You were created for the glory of God. So the psalmist begins, not for me. Oh, not for me, but for the glory of God. We are not the rightful recipients of glory. God alone is worthy of all glory 
and honor. Now, the cultural context in which we now live favors celebrities and encourages personal promotion. Maybe this has always been true, but certainly I, I think because of the explosion of social media platforms and you being able to sit in your living room and make a video that literally can go around the globe has, has put fuel on the fire of this natural desire for us to be to be to be personally celebrated and and to encourage personal promotion. We live in a day of Instagram influencers. People who post pictures of themselves and are making a pretty good living doing it as they influence purchasing of products and other things. I, I, I looked up just as I was preparing um, what were some of the highest paid YouTubers out there? These are people who make videos for a living and get paid for it, get paid quite well. You may not be aware of this, just some of the ones that you may be familiar with. Anybody know who Blippi is? Let me see your hand, Blippi fans. All right. I learned who Blippi was just a few weeks ago when we had a Blippi come to um, Fall Festival. Blippi makes $17 million a year. Don't laugh at Blippi. He has 8.2 billion views and 27 and a half million followers on Facebook. How about Dude Perfect fans? We got Dude Perfect fans? Come on. Who wants to be Dude Perfect? <laughs> they make about $23 million a year, have about 2.7 billion views and 57 and a half million subscribers. And then there's a nine-year-old kid named Ryan. Now, I don't watch Ryan. I don't know who Ryan is, but he's the top earner on YouTube, $29.5 million last year, 12.2 billion views and 41.7 million subscribers. That's a phenomenon, friends. That's culturally significant. And as a part of that, there's sort of this built-in desire that all of us might become a celebrity. So start your YouTube channel. Start your, 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 your Instagram account and, and see if you can't become, what, a $29.5 million earner on making, making videos. That feeds into that, that natural desire that I think has been a part of humanity since the fall of it's about me. And I could be a, a celebrity and I could have influence in our community. And in that flows from that desire to be the recipient of glory and praise and honor. Now, the psalmist begins where all worship must begin, and that is that all glory must be to the Lord and not us. In the context of Instagram influencers and YouTubers, that statement is countercultural. Verse 1 of Psalm 115 is countercultural. If you can say that with the confession of your heart, you are walking against the stream of the natural bent of humanity. There are more, but the psalmist gives at least three reasons to give glory to God. He says first in verse 1, of his, he talks about God's steadfast love and faithfulness. In verse 3, he says that God is not limited by space, that he is the God of heaven. And he says that God is not limited in his authority. He does whatever he pleases. Friends, when you behold the glory of God, it naturally reveals the worthlessness, powerlessness, and foolishness 
of the idols of this world. And so as the psalmist draws our attention to behold the glory of God, it most naturally then moves into verse four, five, six, seven, and eight, where this is this call against this, this, um, this rebuttal against the, the idols of the day. And so the point here is that where God is worthy to receive all glory, the idols that vie for our attention and worship this side of heaven have no power. In fact, when, when the psalmist begins and he talks about uh, in verse four, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. The point that he's making there is that idols are less than the ones who created them. So if you begin with verse one, not for me or not to me, but to God should receive the glory. Then in verse four, when he says, listen, the idols that we choose to worship, the idols that we give sacrifice to, they're not even worth the glory that is worth the one who made them. In other words, the idols are less than the ones whose hands made them. The great early church theologian, Augustine, writing on this psalm, concluded his section on these verses with these words. Even the dead surpass a deity who neither lived nor hath lived. At least a dead person can say, or you can say of them, they once lived, but an idol never has. Verses five, six, and seven simply point to the powerlessness of idols They cannot speak, they cannot see, they cannot hear, they do not smell, they cannot feel, they do not walk. Now, there's a lot of things going on in all of that. When he talks about they cannot smell, that's not just to talk about that their noses don't work. But in in Old Testament worship, there would have been um, incense burned, and so there would have been a smell to the worship. Um, when you read some of the, the, the prophets and when, when God's people are living in sin, God says, listen, the, the, the smell of your burnt offerings is, is, uh, is uh, unpleasant to my nostrils. The, the point that the, the psalmist is making here is that you can burn all that you want to burn. You can offer all the sacrifices you want to sacrifice to, but the, but the pagan idol cannot recognize worship, cannot even receive worship. They have a nose that you fashioned for them, but they cannot smell. They have eyes they cannot see. They have hands they cannot touch. In other words, it is foolish to ascribe the attributes of the living God to powerless idols. The living God speaks truth. The living God sees all that is. The living God hears your cries for help and and your prayers. The living God receives your offering of worship. The living God can and will move mountains and split seas. It's not enough to describe idols as dead because idols never lived. Verse eight, I think, is the most condemning. Look with me what it says in verse eight. It says, those who make them, idols that is, those who make them become like them so do all who trust in them. What are idols? Lifeless, powerless. If you give your heart, your attention, your worship to an idol, you become lifeless and powerless. Charles Spurgeon writing about 
this psalm. Now, he was writing in perspective of his own day. If you don't know who Charles Spurgeon was, he, he lived um, in the 1800s, dying in 1892. So he died even before the First World War. But this is what he wrote about uh, this psalm. And, and, and hear it in the context of what he's seeing as happening in the political world of his day. He says, for as now their God is fashioned like themselves. They will by degrees fashion themselves like their God. And when the principles of justice, law, and order shall have all been effectively sapped, we may possibly witness in some form of socialism similar to that which is so sadly spreading in Germany, a a, a repetition of the evils which have in former ages befallen nations which have refused the living God and set up gods of their own. Every generation, friends, has the idols of their own making that they wickedly give worship, glory, and praise to. Now, it's unlikely that any of you have idols in your home like what Psalm 115 is speaking about, idols of fashion to look like a person or a thing or an animal. It's unlikely that any of you have little um, little altars set up in your home that have on display figurines that you give worship to, but dear friends, idol worship is alive and well among us today. Anything that you give God's glory to that's not God is an idol. Those who have beheld the glory of God cannot and will not give glory that is rightly the Lord's to the lifeless idols of this world. The next thing we're gonna talk about is trust, but what, what, what the psalmist is getting at here is first and foremost, if you've known the glory of God, you, it's not that you won't, it's that you can't give that glory to something that has no power or worth. You know, one of the great idols of our modern day is the chasing after and longing and loving of wealth. You just look amongst evangelicals, Southern Baptists, as we've grown more wealthy, we've grown less faithful. In my office right now, if you wanted to come after church, I've got a, a, little, a little plastic um, um, compression of uh, shredded paper from the U.S. Treasury. It says on there that it's, it has maybe, a, I don't know, $100,000, a million dollars of currency shredded up in that thing. And if any of you would like to exchange with me real currency for that, I'll cut it in half and give it to you today. Amen? It can be yours. Now, it would be foolish for you to do that because why would you give value for something that's really just trash? You wouldn't do that. And that's what the idea here is. Once you beheld the true glory of God, you can't give worship to what has no power or worth. You can't do it because you recognize that it is powerless and worthless in comparison to the glory of God. Behold the glory of God. Know the God of heaven and earth, and that leads you to trusting in the God of our salvation. Look with me. In verse 9, oh, Israel, trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Simple truth here, and that is that God is our help. God alone is our help and our shield. 
This is, I think, a natural response to verse 8. God alone is worthy of all glory. The idols of, of this world are lifeless and powerless. Therefore, trust the Lord alone. Three audiences here, audiences here are addressed first. He says, oh, Israel, that would be God's people, God's chosen people. Trust the Lord. Oh, house of Aaron, that would be the priest. Oh, house of Aaron, trust the Lord. And then to make sure we're very clear on who we're talking about, oh, all those who fear the Lord, that means everybody else, all of us trust the Lord. God alone is our help. Whatever troubles you are facing, trust the Lord. God alone is our help. Whatever challenges you are struggling with, trust the Lord. God alone is our shield. When the world attacks, trust the Lord. God alone is our shield. When Satan tempts, trust the Lord. God alone is our shield. When the evil ones mistreat you, trust the Lord. There's help in the Lord, friends. There's help in the living God. There is protection in the Lord, my friends. Put your trust in the one who can and will provide help and be your shield. And the psalmist goes even further. And he says, not only should we trust the Lord, but trust the Lord and know his blessing. So in the first phrase there from, from uh, 9 to 11, he calls us to, to trust the Lord. And then in verse 12, he says, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. And again, to Israel, to Aaron. And to all those who fear the Lord. The greatest blessing of God has been the gift of salvation through Jesus. That blessing goes all the way back to Genesis 12. My Sunday school class, we've been working, walking through the life of Abraham. One of the earliest moments where God interacted with Abraham in verse 12, he says, Abraham, I'm, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to give you a land. And he said, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. In other words, through your descendants, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Abraham likely didn't understand the fullness of what that meant when he said it. But as Scripture reveals it, God's truth, we come to understand that God would indeed bless all the world through Abraham's descendants, and that would be Jesus. That's why when Matthew begins his gospel, in the very first verse of Matthew and the very first chapter of Matthew, it's a genealogy. Because Matthew understands God is blessing all the families of the earth through the Abraham's descendants. And so in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here's the blessing of God. And how does the blessing of God through Abraham's descendant, Jesus, bless all the families of the earth? Jesus died for your and my sin. Lived sinless, died as a, as a sacrificial gift for you and, my, and I, my sin on the cross, that all those who believe on Jesus would be and can be and will be saved. That's blessings, friends. We're not talking about a new car. We're not talking about a nicer house. We're not talking about a temporary healing. We're talking about eternal salvation through Jesus. That's the blessing that God's talking about. Everything about idols leads to disappointment. Idols don't keep promises. Idols will not, cannot respond to your prayer. 
And idols will not and cannot help, protect, bless, or save. But the most wonderful promise of Scripture is that those who trust in the Lord, listen to me carefully, the most precious promise of Scripture is that those who put their trust in the Lord will not be disappointed. Oh, friends, listen to me. All of us at some point in our, in our lives have trusted in something, put our hope in something, and then to only find out later that our trust, our hope was misplaced and we were disappointed. If you've ever been scammed, oh, it's a painful feeling when you realize that the promises that you believed in turned out not to be true and you've been left, you've been left abused or abandoned. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 10, for the scriptures say everyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, will not be put to shame. In other words, will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches or blessings on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, not might be, not could be, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, friends, don't miss the promise. Don't miss the promise there of verse 11. Everyone who believes will not be put to shame, will not be disappointed, and will be blessed. Don't miss the connection of Romans 10 with, uh, with uh, Psalm 115, verse 13. So in Romans 10, it says there's no distinction that in God will bestow his riches or his salvation on all who call on his name. The psalmist writes in verse 13, both the small and the great bless, and God will bless all who fear the Lord. What's he talking about? Those are the same blessing. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how important you are. It doesn't matter how insignificant you are. If if you trust in the Lord, your will be blessed by God and you will not be disappointed. All those who fear the Lord and call on Jesus for salvation will be blessed, will be saved, and will not be disappointed. That is a good word. Behold the glory of God. Trust in the Lord. And then in verse 16, through the end of the psalm, the most natural response to that is to praise the Lord. So give praise to the one who is worthy. Two things here. First, be good stewards of praise. That may sound like a strange way to phrase it, but I, I think it connects with what the Scripture is saying here. Look with me in, in verse 16. Verse 16 says, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. Now, that's not a statement of limitation. In other words, it's not saying that God is limited to heaven and man has free reign on earth. Verse 16, I think, is a recognition of stewardship. God has given the earth to man to be stewards of. God created and rules both heaven and earth, but God gives the earth to man to cultivate and to steward. Now, to steward means that we are to care for something that we do not own. 
You're put in charge of something to, that you don't own, but you're, you're charged with taking care of it, protecting it, using it as it was intended. While you have life, while you have breath in your lungs, you have the opportunity to praise the Lord. The Bible says that it is appointed to each of us once to die, meaning all of you will know death unless the Lord returns. When death comes, your opportunity to praise the Lord in this world will be no more. God has given you all that you need to praise him. He's giving a testimony of his glory through creation. In other words, look around. The glory of creation testifies to the glory of God. He's given you a testimony through the, to the life and ministry and testimony of Jesus. He's given you a testimony through the Word of God, the Bible. He's given you a body to serve the Lord and a voice to sing and declare His glory. And I would simply say to you, friends, as stewards of praise, do not squander your opportunity. You have a short window a short opportunity to use what God has given you now for the glory of his name. Think of all the things during the week that you've spent your effort on. Think of the thousands and thousands of words this week you have spoken. Have you been a good steward of the glory of God and the praise of his name? Don't squander your opportunity. Be a good steward of praise and Secondly there, let the redeemed praise the Lord. In verse 17, it says, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. God is worthy of glory from all of creation. The Bible tells us that when Jesus returns, God will then receive the rightful worship and glory that he is due from everything and from everyone, both the redeemed who will praise the Lord and the condemned. Because the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Presently, only the redeemed can praise the Lord. Charles Spurgeon wrote, though the dead cannot and the wicked will not. And the careless do not praise God. We will shout hallelujah forever and ever. Amen. Verse 18 is a declaration that should resonate in the heart of all who have trusted in the Lord for salvation. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. I, listen, you know, sometimes when a pastor stands in the pulpit and, and pleads with the congregation, there's a sense of drawing, pulling, sometimes even dragging. Come on, folks. But this is not one of those times. I don't think those who have beheld the glory of God and have put their trust in the Lord have to be begged to praise the Lord. I think those who have beheld the glory of God and have trusted in, in, in God for help and salvation can't help but praise the Lord. That's the idea there. That's the idea there. Praise the Lord. The psalm begins with a confession that God is worthy of all glory. It ends with a declaration that we will bless the Lord from this time forth and evermore and declare and a declarative command to praise the Lord. 
confess the truth, dedicate your life to that truth, and call others to know that truth. There's some stories in your life that once they happen to you, they, they just kind of become the lore, part of the narrative of your life. When Dana and I were, when I was in seminary and we were living in, in Fort Worth, it was a cold winter day and I, a friend of ours was coming into the DFW airport, which is a good hour from our home, and we were going to, to drive and, and pick up our friend from the airport. It required that we drive on the interstate, and, and even though the interstate was, was very empty that day because most folks had enough sense to stay home, we were on the road, and it wasn't raining or, or sleeting at the time, but there was a, a threat of what they call black ice, and that's just ice on the road that you can't see, but when you hit it, you know it because your car loses all traction. You lose all control. We were traveling down the interstate, and this is you know, a multi-lane interstate, so four or five lanes on, in our direction, we hit a patch of that black ice and instantly lost control. At that moment, it doesn't matter if you brake or you don't brake. It doesn't matter if you steer to the left or steer to the right. You have zero control of the direction of your vehicle. We began to instantly spin, uncontrollably spin on the interstate and begin to cross lanes on the interstate. By God's grace that day, it was a very low traffic day and by God's grace, we didn't hit anybody and nobody hit us. As we spun uncontrollably and, and, and were going, moving toward the, the shoulder of the interstate, it was one of those moments where it happened very quickly. I, I mean, it, it was all over in a matter of seconds, but as I remember it, it seems like it took forever. And it seemed like everything was just, you know, moving slowly. I, I knew that as we went to the edge of the the shoulder of the interstate, there was a shoulder there, but just beyond six, seven foot of the, of the shoulder, there was a steep cemented drop-off. And I knew that if we went over the edge, that then we would begin to tumble and we would roll down that embankment. I, I can't explain why or how, but as we spun uncontrollably and moved across all of those lanes of traffic, we went into the shoulder of that interstate and we came to a rest right on the edge of that drop off. I was so afraid because I knew we were so close to the edge of the drop off that I was afraid to even turn my front wheels for fear that that might cause us to slip on over and, and slip. I'm not sure if we screamed or yelled when it happened. I don't remember that part. But I do remember that when we came to a rest, it was dead silent in the car. Our hearts were beating rapidly. Adrenaline was flowing through our veins. I was probably gripping that steering wheel tighter than it had ever, probably left some <laughs> indentions on that steering wheel. Fear had been a major moment in that, in that, uh, in that car. But as we sat in the quiet of that car, just nothing but the engine noise running, the first words that came out of our mouth, we began to praise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God who kept us as we veered across the interstate from being hit by anybody else. Praise God who put his finger down and kept us from going over the edge. 
It wasn't my glory of driving. It wasn't my glory of navigating. It was God's sovereignty. It was God's grace that protected, that helped, that preserved in that moment. To you alone, Lord, receive you know, in that moment, we weren't praising the Lord because I was a seminary student and I thought, well, maybe there's somebody be driving by and they need to see an example of what proper worship looks like. And in that moment, I wasn't, we weren't thinking that, uh, you know, we, we just, we, uh, we want to be good examples to our friends that we're going to pick up so we can tell a story. No, what was happening in that moment was people who had beheld the glory of God and witness the protection and salvation of God in a, in a temporary present moment, the most natural thing to flow out of our mouth is worship. Behold the glory of God, friends. Behold the glory of God. And when you behold the glory of God, put away any trust or hope or reliance upon the worthless, powerless idols of this world and trust in God that trust begins with giving your heart to Jesus and salvation. Trusting Him with your eternal soul and everything else flows from that. And when you do, when you behold the glory of God and you put your trust in God, you won't be able to help but praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening, and until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the Kingdom.